I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and in united love, in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. In the ruin... (laughs) which is in the valley of Achor, under the steps leading to the east, 40 long cubits, you find a chest of silver and its vessels with a weight of 17 talents. In the sepulchral monument, in the third course, 100 gold ingots. In the great system of the courtyard of the peristyle, in a hollow, in the floor, covered with sediment, in front of the upper opening, 900 talents. If those words sound like a charter for treasure hunters, that's exactly what they are. They're the opening words of what's called the Copper Scroll, which was found in Cave 3 in Qumran back in 1952. And the scroll lists 64 locations of hidden treasure, the combined value of which is estimated to be in excess of a billion pounds. The treasures of the Copper Scroll are among the top ten lost treasures of the world. Others are King John's treasure carts that disappeared in the wash when the tide came in, the secret city of Paititi, the missing Kruger millions, the lost Fabergé eggs, the Amber Room, the treasure of the Knights Templar and the Oak Island money pit. And then there are shipwrecks, the Flor de la Mer, the San Miguel and the treasure fleet of 1715. In short, there are enough missing hordes of treasure for Harrison Ford to keep on making Indiana Jones movies for the next decade or more. And there is certainly plenty of scope for those who have an abundance of money to spend their time looking to add to their treasures because they've got nothing better to do. When Paul writes to the Colossians about the mystery of hidden treasure, he's not talking about gold ingots or shipwrecks or pots filled with silver. The treasure he's talking about is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. But before you lose interest, let me remind you that countless lottery winners have found that a sudden windfall of immense wealth has brought them misery rather than happiness. Wealth without wisdom and knowledge can be immensely destructive. But those who have wisdom and knowledge are well equipped to discover the secret of contentment without needing to win the lottery. So which is the real treasure then. The Colossians seem to have something of a fascination for esoteric questions and that may be one reason why Paul assures them that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ who is the mystery of God. That's a profound claim to make. Christ solves the mystery of God. To adapt the words of Blaise Pascal, if you have Christ, you can stop complaining that God has hidden himself so much and you can start giving thanks that he's revealed so much of himself to you through his Son. 
Jesus provides us with the answers to some of life's most pressing existential questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? What will happen to me when I die? As human beings, we have the capacity and the intelligence to consider questions like these. And sometimes the burden of trying to find an answer can weigh quite heavily upon us. Sometimes we look at the world and try and make sense of what's going on and we struggle. But it's the desire to try and make sense of things that's part of the burden of our conscious existence. We want it all to make sense and we struggle when it doesn't. Steve Turner has written some excellent short poems. One of them is called Chance. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills ten, troops on rampage, whites go looting, bomb blasts school, it's but the sound of man worshipping his maker. Deep down we know that's not the way it's supposed to be. We should be better than that. And the Bible says we're not random products of chance. We are created in the image of God. And we were made to be better than that. We deplore the moral failings of the human race. And so does God who made us in his image. And so sent us his son to show us what life should be like. To show us how we should live our lives. What God is really like. And to redeem us and set us back on the right path when we get it wrong. To show us that our ultimate destination is life beyond death. We know that the world is not as it should be. And we know deep down that part of the reason for that is is we are not as we should be. The message of Jesus Christ helps us to make sense of the world. To make sense of who we are. And to see what God has done to set everything right by sending his son to die on a cross. And to reconcile us to himself. So that here and now we can be raised by the power of Christ's resurrection to live our lives a different way. So Christ is the one who can offer us meaning, purpose, significance. He is the one who makes sense of the world as it is. In all its chaos and trouble. He is the one who points us to how we should live. And it's because that is the case that Paul makes the grand claim that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He is the secret of life. Yet I wonder whether it's precisely because these treasures are hidden in Christ that sometimes we fail to see the true value of what we have when we discover Christ. It's easy to underestimate the value of our faith. I mentioned one of the Dead Sea Scrolls at the start of this sermon. They were discovered quite by accident when a Bedouin shepherd found a runaway sheep near the entrance to a small cave. (coughs) He threw a stone into the cave just to see what would happen. And he was surprised to hear the sound of shattering pottery. 
He and his cousins went back to the cave later and they found 12 ceramic jars. They were quite excited because they hoped the jars would be full of treasure. But they only contained seven old scrolls, which they took down the market and sold for less than £100. Today, those scrolls are considered to be priceless. They didn't recognise the value of what they discovered. And that can be the case with those of us who find Christ. If we treat our faith as something superficial, then we will miss the true value of what we have because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. But they're hidden. So the Christian faith needs to be probed, pondered, prayed about, searched into. Because the more you dig into it, the more significant and worthwhile you will find it to be. There is nothing superficial about Christ. Like there's nothing superficial about hidden treasures of wisdom or knowledge. And that approach is a bit counterintuitive for us these days. We live in an age of instant access to knowledge. If we want to know something, we go online, click a few times, and we find a website that has a ready-made answer. All the thinking that goes in to what we do, we put into finding the right words to enter into the search engine. So we don't value wisdom or knowledge. We rely on other people to do the thinking for us. But the problem is that so much of what we find online is superficial. And actually it's not thought through. You won't necessarily find depth of wisdom or knowledge there. And when it comes to life's big questions, off-the-peg answers simply will not do. But God gives us Christ and he invites us to explore the truth and the wisdom and the knowledge that are there, accessible for us all. Paul doesn't simply say, well, any question about life, Jesus is the answer. You can tick that box and move on to the next thing. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And because they're hidden, there's no ABC formula for unlocking the mystery. But we access the depths of that wisdom and knowledge through prayer, through contemplation, through worship, through reflection through Bible reading. All things which are time-consuming processes that offer nothing by way of instant results or easy answers. But as you take the time to make Christ your focus, they allow you to unlock the meaning of your life, the significance of your identity, the question of who God really is. And this gives you a wisdom and knowledge that isn't downloaded from the internet or inherited from your parents or learned parrot fashion or simply accepted because someone from the pulpit says this is what you've got to believe. But as you ponder Christ and discover the wisdom and knowledge that are available in him, God enables you to become a person of spiritual depth who is able to make the most of his gift of life to you. And life can be tough. 
And Christianity is 100% realistic in asserting that. There is no dewy-eyed view of the world as a benign place of harmony and safety. It's a place of danger and destruction and suffering and death. Which is why God sent his son to reconcile us to himself, because we need that so much. And in Christ, we can tap in to find the mental resources and the wisdom we need to face life with all its trials and difficulties and unanswered questions. And in the body of Christ, the church, you can find the support from others that you need as well. Because Paul's focus is not on the individual here. Each one of us just in splendid isolation in an ivory tower trying to figure out the meaning of life. We are all in this together. So his prayer for these Christians whom he's never met is that they would all be encouraged in heart and united in love as they embrace the mystery of wisdom and knowledge, which is Christ. The exact nuance of what he means is debatable, but it's perfectly legitimate to translate his words as saying that people are encouraged in heart as they are united in love. If pondering Christ gives us understanding... If we are united in love, that encourages us in heart. When we're there for each other, when we stand together, each individual heart is strengthened. And there's nothing uniquely or particularly Christian about that truth. It's common sense. But it's as true of the church as it is of any other group of people. If we are united in love, then all of our hearts will be strengthened and encouraged. And they'll need to be. Because as I've already said, life is tough. And that may be why when Paul uses these words, he quotes military imagery. As he talks about being orderly and having a firm faith in Christ. The word for orderly there is a word that's used of troops. Holding the line. Standing in formation. It's the language used of a rank of soldiers lined up in battle formation to face the enemy, ready to do their duty. The New Revised Standard Version speaks about morale in its translation of the word. Paul wants Christians to be people who have the courage of their convictions. To believe what they know, and know what they believe, and to stand up together for what is right. And if we have spiritual depth and we belong to a network of supportive, loving relationships, then our hearts will be encouraged, we'll be able to stand firm and face life together. If we know deep down what we believe and our faith is firm and we stand arm in arm with others, then we will not end up being bewildered or disordered and in disarray. The square will not be broken. We will present a solid front. And that's part of the meaning of the language of faith being firm. It's about faith being a stronghold, a fortified place, a position of strength, a firm foundation and a basis for living this life well. So to do that we plumb the depths in terms of seeking out the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ. 
We embrace each other in love and develop supportive, committed relationships where together we stand to face life and all it throws at us. That's why, in a troubled world, the Christian life is worth living. Why Jesus is worth trusting. Because you will find in him, if you search, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge you need to live your life well. And he unites us in love with each other and encourages our hearts so that as we put our trust in him, we stand together in a position of strength. That's God's vision for us as individuals and for us together as a church. And that's why faith in Jesus Christ is priceless. Recognise the real value of what you have in Christ and treasure it accordingly.